Welcome back to another Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Bill Landis, Ari Wasserman, your Cleveland.com Ohio State coverage crew. We're going to hit a bunch of topics today. Um, Buckeye Talk is taking off, boys. Buckeye Talk is taking off. Number one podcast on iTunes. We won a Grammy. Um, we did win a Grammy. We took our pants off when we accepted the, <laughs> uh, the trophy. Um, we're going to hit what can Ohio State learn from Michigan. Uh, we're going to talk about Kevin Wilson and JT Barrett and the quarterback situation with Ohio State. We're going to talk about some guys and their positioning for the NFL draft. We have a lot of questions from you guys. We're going to hit a lot of topics. Can I do a quick little plug first, fellas? sure. If you haven't listened yet, give another podcast here at Cleveland.com a try. It is the Takes by the Lake podcast that we do twice a week about Cleveland sports. It's not on the same iTunes channel as Buckeye Talk which has its own exclusive iTunes channel. you got to find us at cleveland.com. I'll link it in the post for this podcast. Thanks, brother. Yeah. Is um, he trying to take our juice to his other podcast yeah. and leave us in the dust? Is that what's he's happening? Not, he's not dumb. He knows what podcast is hot, and he's trying to get a little residual I, off that. i got to get some yeah. I gotta get some Buckeye Talk juice on the other podcast. So we do a lots of different stuff. We did, a t- we did one about sports and politics. We have guests from cleveland.com, talking Browns, talking Indians, um, talking Cavs, whatever. So try us. Um, two, uh, Thursdays and Mondays, and that's my little plug. All right, that was too long. Let's get into this. Um, we asked for questions. You guys are always good about giving us questions on Twitter, so we're going to start off with this one, and we're going to get into the Buckeyes in Michigan. This is from Dale Norviel, N-O-R-V-I-E-L, whose <laughs> Twitter handle I just noticed is Tapioca Stroker. <laughs> and I feel like that's that could be... Okay. We're okay saying tapioca stroker on a podcast, right? That's my favorite type of pudding. Like pudding. Yeah. Okay. Dale, with a good question. Do you guys ever foresee Ohio State hiring high school coaches like Michigan has done to lure in talent? And this question comes from the fact that Jim, Har- Jim Harbaugh hired Chris Partridge, who was Rashawn Gary's high school coach. And Jabril Peppers. And Jabril's high school, Jabril Peppers high school coach from New Jersey, hired him to Michigan staff. And now, as we're recording this on Monday, Jim Harbaugh has hired uh, a coach who used to coach in college in the NFL, but was a high school coach in Texas, I think, whose son. Is it Texas or California? Might be California. Whose son is the number one dual threat quarterback in the class of 2019. And Jim Harbaugh has conveniently hired his dad. So, um, Ari, what do you think of this practice? I know the one thing is that the NCAA is looking to crack down on this. And they are have proposed a rule that I think is going to be voted on that you can't hire someone to a staffing position like that and then recruit somebody from their school for two years. Um, but this would get them in under the wire because the 2019 kid wouldn't report until the summer of 2019, and it, that's more than two years away. California. But anyway, California. What's his name? Michael Johnson. Michael Johnson is the dad. Yes, and I believe that is his son's name as well. Okay. So, Ari, what do you think of this practice? It's certainly not unique to Michigan. What do you think of it in general? Do you think, before we get into Ohio State, do you think it's an effective recruiting tool? You mean it's – because, like, I'm going to go basketball, but I think when Ohio State was recruiting Tony Parker um, a few years ago and he went to UCLA, didn't they hire, like, one of his AAU coaches? UCLA did. Um, I don't know. Tony Parker? Um, He – From the Spurs? No, there's a different. There's a Tony. He was uh, a top five 
Anyway, yeah. Ohio State kind of did it for an area because Kerry Combs has to count, right, for an area. Well, but that's completely different if you're talking about somebody who has a direct relationship to prospects at a certain high school or even a family member. I think we're also talking hiring directly from high school, which that's they didn't the hire Kerry Combs Right, right, Kerry that's correct. Because um, someone brought up that point. So Ohio State, when Urban Meyer got his staff together at Ohio State, his first staff – Nine assistant coaches had two former very successful Ohio high school coaches on the staff, Tim Hinton and Kerry Combs. But Tim Hinton had been at Notre Dame and Kerry Combs had been in Cincinnati. They didn't hire right. straight from high school. I don't know if there's ever going to be an individual prospect that Ohio State would want to leverage their entire one entire – because coaching, assistant coaches, every single one is pretty valuable. And when you're Ohio, when you're Ohio State and – But they're not hiring them for assistant coaches. They're right, hiring right. For staff but every staff position. But they're not valuable. You could make up some bogus sixty of them staff the position. Yeah, make him. A, I'm trying to think of like what assistant recruiting graphics coordinator, yeah. kicking game analyst. I'm trying to figure out though, like which prospect, if you like, kind of put it into Ohio State's recruiting history, like which prospect have they gotten that you would have done it for? Which one would you've missed out on? Would you think Harbaugh is smart to do this? Is this a big deal? Not a big deal? This a smart move? A silly move? I think it's smart because it's like you said, it's not, he's not hiring this guy to be his quarterback's coach. He's hiring him to be an analyst and who knows what that turns into. But if it's not illegal in terms of the NCAA and it gives you a leg up in getting a really good high school player, yeah, do it. Like it's going to rub people the I wrong way. I think you'd want to do it for a quarterback more than anything. I, I, I would hire the high school coach of the 25 players in my recruiting class to BS analyst positions. Because there's, there's, no right? there's no rule against it. There's no rule against it. You can have as not many yet. as you want. Yeah. Then what's the downside? People get mad at you, but he's got a really good quarterback. Yeah, Jim Harbaugh doesn't strike me as somebody who gets worked up when people get mad at him. I mean, they didn't hire Stacey Elliott, but they gave Stacey Elliott. I think a, he does have a weird position title. now. That was a title. I don't know if he's getting. Paid. I don't think he had one when his son was playing for Ohio State, but I believe he is an official employee now. But they didn't. They didn't. Uh, they didn't. You know, that wasn't a direct link. But once. Ezekiel Elliott was here, and Stacey Elliott was involved. He became the. You never know what's said official, too during the yeah. recruiting process. So, you know, kid comes here, we'll take care of you. I mean, the one I wondered about, and he's not a high school coach, but when they needed a quarterbacks coach, I wondered if they were going to look at your guy. Uh, was his name Bryson Spinner, Dwayne Haskins' personal yeah. quarterbacks coach, who Urban Meyer like raved about on National Signing Day a couple years ago, and I thought yeah, I maybe, wrote a big thing about that. Maybe they'd want to hire that kind of guy. And they already had Haskins, so it wasn't about getting him, but that would have been. I mean, I've asked what we're talking asked about. Urban Meyer exactly. Um, about him, and he was pretty high on him from a coaching standpoint. Um, and that is exactly like the direct link if you hire the personal quarterbacks coach of the guy you're going for. But they got him, right? So it's just if there's no downside to something, then I think that you could take something that Michigan's doing. Um, and Michigan's not the only one doing it for sure. I mean, this is a well. Here, well, here's the question: Is there a negative that you could think of? The negative. I think there's a possibility of creating a quid pro quo system where you hire one guy and then the next kid that comes down the pike says, well, hire my dad or yeah. hire my coach. You did it for that other guy. Why won't you do it for my guy? And then all of a sudden you may be put in a position where you have people in your building that you don't really want in your building. But you feel like now all of a sudden it's – I mean it's like political graft. You know, It's like you know, you're just you're, – you're handing out jobs as part yeah. of the deal. And I think it's a slippery slope that could go the wrong way it's if you aren't careful. Definitely towing the line between benefits too. I think. Well, that's why the NCAA I think is going to look at it pretty hard. And actually, they probably 
should stop it. Definitely. I mean, the big yeah. thing, if you say you're going to financially benefit from us in this relationship because you're a kid, even though it's not technically because of it, everybody knows it is, then I don't see why that's any different than paying somebody. I think they, this is a long time ago. I think Kansas, this is a really long time ago. I think Kansas hired Danny Manning's dad as an assistant when Danny Manning was like a huge basketball recruit. Hmm. And um, one point I want to bring up, who is the best basketball player at Ohio State? Oh, it's going to yeah. be a female. It's Kelsey Mitchell, yeah. And who? what does yeah. her dad do right now? He's an assistant coach for the Ohio State women's basketball team. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. <laughs> and her sister's on scholarship, too. Um, Not illegal. Kevin McGuff got to Ohio State as the new Ohio State basketball coach and I think like basically hired the dad of the best high school player in Ohio to his staff. Yeah. And then got her. And she is has been the centerpiece of the Ohio State women's basketball program from the second she stepped on campus. Which is more valuable than coaching. Yeah. So it happens. It happens. But um, well, I'm a little surprised that Ohio State in general hasn't made one of those moves where they've hired a big high school coach straight to Ohio State. Maybe not as an uh, assistant, but like a staffer. Like Rick Finati. Okay, this is a good example, yeah. and this is getting off the topic a little bit. Rick Finati was at St. Ed's. St. Ed went to Michigan, <clears throat> was hired on a staffer position, not a coaching position, and now has left and is new the head is now the head coach at John Carroll. Right? He was hired as like a, a personnel guy. Last year was a defensive quality control coach, and is now the head coach at John Carroll. I'm a little surprised that that kind of move hasn't happened at Ohio State. Do you, could you see that, Ari, that you know you have – you hire the head coach at – from wherever, from a powerhouse in Cleveland or a powerhouse in Cincinnati or a powerhouse in Toledo, and you get him on Ohio State staff. That, I'm a little surprised, actually hasn't happened more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no – there's no real downside to that, you know, and it just you, – you want it to be as savvy as possible, and Ohio State, I don't know. I think that they're a step behind in savviness. And I don't know if it's because they don't have to be, because they've been so successful with the way that they're doing things, but I do think that Michigan has changed the way college football is even recruiting from a greater extent. And that was one of the points that uh, Thomas Wilcher made when we went to Cast Tech about how Michigan has changed the way that everybody is recruiting. And I thought that that was a pretty interesting – I mean, it was obvious, but like the fact that Ohio State hasn't made any – uh, moves that would make you think it's innovative. And maybe, again, if it's not broken, don't fix it. But I just felt like that wasn't necessarily something that Ohio State's done very often. What's interesting is, like, Ohio State doesn't do it because I think Ohio State doesn't have to do it. But I also don't think Michigan has to do it. And it's weird that he would do it anyway. Well, the guy apparently, I, I think Harbaugh has a previous relationship with this guy. I think this guy right. may have been the quarterback coach and coached Harbaugh in the NFL. So they have a relationship, and it, and it just so happens that his son is the number one quarterback in the class of 2019. Yeah. I mean, again, it's not a coincidence, but yeah, I'm a, I guess I'm a little surprised, too, that Michigan... And it's not like he does it, he hasn't done it 15 times. Like the, but he's done it twice He's now. done it twice. In this, and yeah, the in first this one number. got him, like, the two number... Well, it didn't... But Jabril Peppers was already here with Brady Hoke. So that move... It got on Gary. Got them well, to Sean Gary. And got them, helped create a New Jersey pipeline for them, right? Although... Maybe not, but that guy was a big high school coach in New Jersey. 
Who else? It wasn't about New Jersey. I think it was about taking Paramus. Yeah, because Paramus is not very well liked in New Jersey. So I don't think when I was there and I went on the little recruiting trip with Ed Warner, I don't think most coaches. There was one high school that loved Paramus, and that was Paramus, and then there was everybody else. So, but like speaking of that New Jersey trip, you know who would have been an interesting person for Ohio State to maybe think about hiring? The offensive coordinator from uh, St. John Bosco, who played at Rutgers who was an assistant coach. I can't remember his name. What was the quarterback's name? Oh, uh, Teal. Teal yeah. was a assistant coach on Bosco, and he has like great ties in recruiting because he played at Rutgers, and he was the quarterback, quarterback, and he was yeah. Shiano's quarterback. Their, their best that year, guy right? makes sense. We want to talk about analysts. Like That's somebody who kind of jumps out to me that's because he's a name that some people had, like would remember because he was Rutgers' best player ever maybe because of the quarterback of their best team. And, of course – uh, his situation in, in New Jersey, because that's the one place I would think if you if you were Ohio State, where would you want to hire somebody who has connections to? Yeah. Which what area would it be? It wouldn't be Florida, because they already do like pretty New, well in Florida. I think it'd be like New Jersey or Georgia. Be, yeah. You'd want to put a reinforcement maybe in Jersey because that's the only real place where Michigan's beating them consistently. You know who, you know who did this when uh, we were in Georgia on our road trip on the way back from the national championship? We went to a high school and I forget the name of the school, but it was what, what was that big uh, lineman's name? Bolware was that his last name? Oh, uh, was he an offensive lineman that yeah, went to Tennessee? Went to Tennessee, yes. Venzel Bolware. Venzel Bolware, yeah. Good his memory. high school coach's name was Olton Downs, and when we were in his high school, oh, he yeah. trashed Mark Richt and Georgia, and then Kirby Smart, or sorry, and then a year later, Mark Richt hired him, hired Olton Downs as like a recruiting, like outreach personnel guy, and he's still on staff with Kirby Smart now. And that was a very shrewd hire, I thought. And now it's hire the hire the most vocal high school coach who's an opponent of the way you're recruiting, and bring him to your staff. Because Georgia Georgia's, has a third class yeah. connection this year. Georgia's changing. Yeah, Georgia's actually getting Georgia guys. Georgia's getting Georgia guys, and I think that's going to be a story here pretty soon because one of the I did a post not to go off on too much of a tangent, but I did a post on uh, Ohio State's biggest recruiting misses, and one guy who was like one of my first relationships I built at Cleveland.com. Richard oh, LeCount Richard. was on that list. Richard! And Richard LeCount should be at Ohio State right now. He's Raekwon. He would guy. be at Ohio State if it was a year ago or two years ago. And I think the entire uh, reason why he's at Georgia is because of the hire they made in Kirby Smart. He went to and the same high school as Raekwon McMillan and was a huge recruit. He's visited Ohio State a hundred times. He even officially visited after he committed to Georgia, not because he was considering Ohio State anymore, because he was so close enough with Ohio State where they allowed him to come up and watch Raekwon play. And I thought that that was a very interesting situation. And if Georgia's changing and you get one less kid like that in every single class over the course of three or four years, I think that's a dramatic difference. So here's a point I want to make. I think I disagree with Ohio State hasn't done anything innovative because I think there's something that they have done that I don't know if other schools do it. But Ohio State sure talks about it a lot. And they talked about it on signing day and some of the players talked about it on signing day. As something that is something they do in the program that is now a draw for recruits. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Real Life Wednesday? Real Life Wednesdays. Where they bring in these giants from the business world and just people who can help you get jobs. And sometimes they're sports figures. Dan Gilbert has come in. Sometimes it's just business leaders or military people or... They and brought in Jamie Dimon from Chase. My mom works at Chase, the CEO of Chase, or the chairman of Chase. I don't know the difference between those things because I'm a journalist. That guy's a big deal. Yeah. Like, that guy's, like, in charge of J.P. Morgan Chase. 
they they do they promote like their Nike internship program and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think they have been on the front end of that in this internship exposure to the real world stuff. Ari, you went to a job fair a couple of years ago that yeah. they had. Urban Meyer talks about the real life Wednesday stuff all the time. You kind of tune it out after a while. But when we talked to a couple of those guys on signing day, I think Jeffrey Okuda brought up Real Life Wednesday. He did. Yeah, did. I quoted him. I, what did I write? I wrote something about Real Life Wednesdays last week, and I can't remember what the story was. Cause, but like I, I went into it a little bit and listed some of the guys they had, and it, it is a good point, and I did forget about that. So I'm happy you brought and that I don't up. Know, and I don't know if other schools are stealing that. I mean, I'm sure Chris Ash has stolen it already at Rutgers. But, <laughs> but that's like a thing, right? Because what we're talking about now is so we're going to shift a little bit. We want to talk about other things that Michigan has done that should Ohio State follow suit. So I think that's something that other people are going to – because other people are going to copy because you want to do things that recruits think are cool or that recruits families think are cool, right? Real Life Wednesdays is one of them. Going to Rome to practice football is another one of them. Bill, you talked to Gene Smith about this. Jim Harbaugh, they're going to – I think they're passing the rule, right, to not do it anymore, but they're going to squeeze in. And they're not going on spring break. They're going. They're going. I think. Going, Michi- I, think I think Michigan might do. They might do trimesters, maybe. But they're yeah. They're going. They're not going spring break. They're going end of April, beginning of May. So, should Ohio State consider something like that? Do you think that matters to recruits? And Bill, what did you talk about with Gene Smith? Do you think Ohio State ever would? I don't think Ohio State ever would. I, I asked Gene Smith, and he knew the question was coming because he got in hot water last year um, when Michigan went to IMG for spring break and. Gene Smith's comments about it were sort of taken out of context. So, like, before I finished asking him the question, he started laughing and said, no. Um, <laughs> he said, no, we, we're not going to Rome. And I said, that's fair enough. Would you ever consider doing anything sort of out of the box as it pertained to taking your team somewhere um, for spring break or whatever? And he said, no, we're, we're pretty confident with what we do, um, which I thought was a pretty emphatic no. I don't think Ohio State in the future is ever going to do anything like this. And now your ability to do so is um, – constrained uh, a great deal because of this new NCAA rule where you can't do um, off-campus trips during university vacation periods. So I don't even know. Like, I'm sure Jim Harbaugh might find a loophole after this rule passes in August. I don't know what that loophole could be. This might like this might be a one-time deal, Michigan go in the room. I don't know. Even if Ohio State wanted to, if it would be possible for them to do it after this. What do you think is the number one goal in doing that? And why do you think it's important? And going to Rome, uh, like to be different, like I don't, I don't see any real. I mean, there's no football advantage. I don't think unless there. I mean, if you get one kid, you weren't going to get because Michigan went to Rome one time, and he wants that kind of life experience, and it's worth it. Um, but I think it's just to be different, and Jim, Jim Harbaugh to bring some more exposure to his program and be kind of weird and kooky and out of the box. I, I kind of feel like. When coaches go on in-home visits, they have like PowerPoint presentations. They don't have a PowerPoint, but they go through down bullet points. And I feel like out of all the schools right now, what are Ohio State's number one selling points, you guys think? NFL. NFL. Real Life Wednesday. Success on the field. Success on the field. Iconic stadium. Nice facilities. Yeah. Black jerseys. Um, and I think that Ohio State's got an edge in, against Michigan in, in some of those things. I think Michigan's bullet point list might be longer. Yeah, uh, maybe, but I think – Doug's like number one thing is always like you can sell the reverse of success on the field, and that is make us successful. Yeah, yeah. And so that has to – that counts as a bullet point then in my mind. 
even if you're not as successful as Ohio State? Uh, I don't know if Michigan's is longer. I mean, I, Ohio State's is pretty long. I know what you're saying. Um, and Harbaugh's looking for every little thing. Clearly, Harbaugh's looking for every new thing. And if it's not longer, then I think the motivation is to make it longer. Yes, I agree with that. Because they can't put on it, we beat our rival. And Ohio State can. They can't, can't put, put on a it. national championship on there. Yeah. They can't put twelve guys drafted. can't put a big, uh, yeah, monster draft class. They can't. And maybe, I mean, they have 13 guys going to the NFL Combine, so maybe that's something they can add to their list after this year. But And we, you've written a lot about, you know, the LeBron versus Jordan branding thing is clearly a thing. Uh, that Michigan has really pushed the Jordan brand and Ohio State has responded by pushing the LeBron brand. But I think, I mean, I think you're right. It is. It's like you want to list all the cool – you want to overwhelm people with how awesome your place is. Not just like we send guys to the NFL, but 10, 20 more things. I just like think it's so interesting. The NFL is if you're good, they'll find you. Like, I mean, but like – and we've talked about this before and, and maybe this is a tangent, but like how much do you think Ohio State actually develops NFL talent or how much you just think it's they bring more in from the beginning? I think they develop it a lot. You look at some of the guys that went to the NFL in that last class. Like they're not – I don't know. What was there, one five-star in that group? Twelve guys drafted. One of them was a five-star prospect. In the, big, in the big group last year? Uh, Von Bell was the only one, right? Bosa wasn't a five-star. Zeke Elliott wasn't a yeah. five-star. Like, I think they were top 100 players. I mean, they were right. like, I mean, they're not taking two stars and turning them into NFL prospects, but I think they had some hand in making Darren Lee a first-round draft pick, and Michael Thomas was awesome when he came to Ohio State, but I think they had a little bit of a hand in helping make him what he became. I feel like you squeezed in a new podcast topic into the middle of this yeah. podcast. Eli Apple. I mean, but they're Does Ohio all... State develop their players, or do they bring in great talent? Yeah, that, I think I that they, they go hand in hand. I don't. Right. I'm not disagreeing with what Bill's saying. Of course, they develop. I mean, Kerry Combs has had a first round pick, basically a cornerback every year. I feel like, or whatever it's been. So, uh, I always just like. I always think it's funny because I we've written and we hear so much about how that NFL draft sells, and clearly it does. There's no question about it. But like, can Jim Harbaugh not sell the NFL? Uh, I think he can sell it for quarterbacks. Across the board, I'm not so. I don't know. I don't know is his track record at Stanford, and so far at Michigan, they get. T- yeah, I mean, uh, I I think. Yeah, I mean, I think they. That was the whole. Wasn't the Jed Fish Zach Smith thing about NFL stuff? It was about the like graphics for NFL guys, but I, I but I don't know if it was about like who they developed. It was like who they. It's like who they coached. It's like Texas putting Zeke Elliott on their yeah recruiting uh, pamphlets because Stan Drayton coached him, but like. It's kind of a fake deal, I think. It's not like you didn't actually develop Zeke Elliott. You left before he kind of became what he became. But because you have a loose affiliation with him, you get to throw him on your recruiting graphics at a school we never went to. Yeah, I mean, I think – yeah. No, they all do it, though. They all do it. They really do. It's like they, they emphasize – well, they emphasize whatever's convenient, whether it's the school developing the person or whether it's the individual coach. I mean, Ohio State has graphics talking about Larry Johnson's defensive line picks with a bunch of Penn State guys on it. Right. So well, there's true. no question, though, then I think we all can agree that NFL is the number one and most important selling point. I th- to the elite players. I think it is. And I also think Ohio State's case in that has become probably stronger than anyone else in college football. I disagree with that. Ohio State's NFL case sucked for no, a long time. No, no, no. I, but I, I think they're still making up ground on it. I don't know. I mean, that they had this huge draft class, but I, I think, think Alabama. I think more not just that. I think also the coaches with NFL experience on their coaching staff helps them too. I agree. Like they don't have. I mean, you've written about like like for all the 
great college football teams they have, they don't really have an NFL superstar. Well, it didn't before this year. Right. And that's a real thing, but I think that's changing. And I don't know. I, I don't guess know. like I'm, Alabama would be better, but. I'm curious to see. I, I'm, I'm very curious to see if a linebacker is really swayed by that Bill Davis has been in the NFL for 20 years. I How think much that, the, that really matters I think that the NFL draft, the 2014 NFL draft to children that they're recruiting is a big deal because it just happened. Yeah. The thing I wonder, like, Bill, like, on paper, like, who's Bill Davis? He's just a guy coaching in NFL for a long time. But, like, Bill Davis gets into someone's living room and starts rattling off the names of the guys he's coached in 24 years in the NFL. I think that holds a lot of weight. I mean, to put myself in that player's shoes, it would with me. To know that that guy knows what it takes to be an elite NFL linebacker. Yeah. And can get you there. I think that matters. And they've got a lot of NFL guys on – their roster, and I think that that might bring us to the next question about Greg Schiano because you wrote about this, Bill. Schiano had an eye for what first-round NFL talent looks like, mm-hmm. and he sells the NFL talent, and I think we had a question about Schiano. Look at that. How about that for a segue? That's a, that's a, like, that's that's a, segue it's a professional now. segue. He's, yeah. He took us on a 12-minute well, tangent That was a huge tangent. <laughs> I didn't know. Sometimes I can't it. tell if like I – I do the tangent, and then Doug's like, why are we on this tangent right now? And then <laughs> that I was a whole separate podcast topic of Ohio State yeah. developing NFL talent. Hey, it was interesting. It's on the podcast, and everybody who's listening is like, yeah, thank God I did that. <laughs> Thanks, Ari. Okay. <laughs> and now – You can be the host if you want to be the host. I don't want to be the host. I'm not coming for the crown, baby. Where is the – all right, we have a Greg Schiano question. And I think it's a good um, – I think it's a good question because – I think Greg. How much? Just real quick. How much do you think Greg Shano matters to the staff right now? How important is he, especially uh, after Luke Fickle left? He's pretty important. Is he the most important? Kevin Wilson might be the most important, but Shiano is probably one A. He's up there. Yeah. All right. So Quan Tran asks. He's at uh, on Twitter at Super TBQ. Is Greg Schiano a long-term guy, or is this, this is this the two-year promise deal that Urban Meyer always asks his assistants for two years? Um, and the fact that they're losing a bunch of guys in the secondary to the NFL, and they're going to have to rebuild this secondary. Do you think Greg Schiano is is a long-termer here, or do you think this is his last year? I think this is probably his last year, and I'm actually a little surprised that he's still here this year because I thought that. Urban Meyer has a two-year rule. I thought Greg Schiano was the exception to that rule if you want it to be. I do think he was exempt. Yeah. He signed a one-year deal, and there was some money stuff going on with the Tampa Bay Bucks, who were still paying him, and they're not paying him this year. Uh, we don't have his new contract info yet. I suspect that that will be a one-year contract as well. Um, which, again, is unusual. Which is unusual for the way Urban Meyer hires assistants, and probably unusual across the board in college football. I mean, do you think he's the most overqualified person on their staff? I think he might be the most overqualified assistant in college football. And that's me speaking on my butt a little bit because I don't know everyone, but no, but that's the he's point, a right? Super successful college head coach who got two years to be good in the NFL and got canned before he could see it through, and is now a defensive coordinator for one of the best programs in the country. Yeah, he should be a head coach somewhere. I felt like he just didn't get the right fit. I mean, it feel like it felt like his name was linked to a couple different jobs. But as you're waiting it out, this is the perfect scenario. Yeah. For him. I thought South Florida was would have been a good thing and like had Charlie Strong not been fired, I think Greg Schiano might be the coach there right now. Even if he would have went there for like 2 years 
to sort of remind everyone how good of a head coach he is. Because he's he has Florida ties. He he was really yeah. re- recruited Florida big time at Rutgers, I think, right? And, and he coached the Bucks, yeah. Okay, so I mean I think it makes sense that this is the last year. I mean, and you can't you can't predict uh, you know, I think his name was like in with the Oregon job briefly. It was. How, how real that was or not. That would be a little nuts to me. I don't think he's gonna jump to a top twenty job from here. But South Florida, I think. I think it depends on how good Ohio State's defense is this year. If they lose all those guys on the back end and they're still pretty much just as good as they were last year, <laughs> I think he's just, so just I'm just giving a random out of out of nowhere example. If Notre Dame has a crappy year and Brian Kelly gets fired, would Greg Schiano be a legitimate Notre Dame candidate? I think he should be. I don't know. I don't know. I'd hire him if I was. So the general thought process when it comes to a coach who had been fired from a job is to work his way back up. You know, you go. But he wasn't fired from a college job. He was fired from the right. NFL for two years. That's right. Saban got fired by the Dolphins, or fired by the Dolphins. And the and one it, thing it that Shiano can say too that, like, I always like, and we had this argument about Herman. I think on his resume, he doesn't just have had successful seasons; like, he built something. Yeah. And I think that, that that is different than winning a few seasons. I think that like going to a place that now I think is literally mission impossible to be good consistently. And we've talked a lot about Rutgers and written a lot about Rutgers and what they are facing from a recruiting standpoint. And they seem to have the tools there. But to make them what they were for a few years was a building process. And I think he deserves some credit for that. The thing I wonder about him, like just to play devil's advocate a little bit, is like if he had been coaching Rutgers in the Big Ten and not in the Big East – Right. How much does that change things? But but building a program is building, building a, a program. program. Is building a program. And I agree. Yeah. It might have been harder to do it in a different climate, but maybe he wouldn't have found that to be an attractive job at the beginning anyway. I don't right. know. We're just talking again out of our butts on this one. But I think I would – I'd hire him. I would hire him. I think he's a good coach. I think he knows how to run a program. I think that um, – he did a really good job at Rutgers, got the NFL experience, has now worked for under Urban Meyer for two years and picked up some stuff from him. Alignment. Align- staff alignment. <laughs> That's what they all say. Whoever he ends up during his uh, in- introductory press conference, he will say the word alignment 15 times. Uh, I think he'd be a very attractive candidate for any program looking for a head coach next year. Okay, let's do some Kevin Wilson talk. Um, we still haven't heard. We hope that we are going to get a chance to speak with Kevin Wilson and Ryan Day and Bill Davis, the three new assistant coaches, uh, sometime before spring ball starts March 7th. March 7th. Um, this is more of a statement from at JW underscore snow, who goes by Slippery. What's up, Slippery? He has a question. Um, Kevin Wilson talk. I like the dynamic of Urban Meyer having learned um, some offensive things from Randy, Walk- Randy Walker and Kevin Wilson at Northwestern when Randy Walker was the head coach there, the late Randy Walker, and Kevin Wilson was the offensive coordinator. Um, that seems to give Kevin Wilson enough cred and a bigger voice uh, in the Ohio State um, offensive coaching room. Do you think Kevin Wilson if, – if, do you agree with Slippery? Do you, do you agree with at J.W. Snow that Kevin Wilson is maybe going to have – more say-so with this offense, maybe take it in a little bit of a different direction than what Tim Beck and Ed Warner had last year. I think that... I think he will, yeah. I think he comes with a deeper, more impressive, proven resume than those other guys did. He's not coaching at Ohio State to prove himself, like Tom Herman was, like Ed Warner was. Like, he comes, like you said, with a track record, and like 
in some ways, I think he's doing Urban Meyer a favor. Obviously, he's not a very attractive candidate because of the way his tenure ended at Indiana. But he's another guy who is, I think, a little overqualified for the job that he has right now and is helping out. I feel out like Ohio State always gets yeah. – I don't know if lucky is the word. No, I, I don't think lucky is the word. I think, to Urban Meyer's credit, he has created a place where people want to be. Yeah. Um, Which you could be winning and not have that environment necessarily, I think. Yeah. Although I winning goes a long way. Winning goes a long way, but I would – I mean, I wonder how – I can't imagine going to work for Nick Saban is something that people are super eager about because Nick Saban's a little bit of a curmudgeon and Urban Meyer is a hard ass, but he's not <coughs> that. Um, but yeah, didn't we talk about this last week about Kevin Wilson having more say in what the offense does this year because he has that track record because Urban Meyer based a lot of what he does off of what Kevin Wilson was doing at Northwestern? Yeah. It's yeah. like, it's not, the offenses are similar. What he did at Indiana, like the principles are similar to what Urban Meyer's done at Ohio State and everywhere else in his career. So he's not coming to make wholesale changes. And I think because of that, Urban Meyer might give him a little more leeway to, to call the plays and, and develop a little bit more of the strategy and not have everything stop with Urban Does Meyer it feel like, in the past. It feels like to me with Kevin Wilson, and I don't know if you guys get the same vibe, but like he's coming to save them. A little bit, yeah. Is that what it feels like to you? On some level, yeah, that they're an excellent program that – Cannot win a national championship with the offense that they had the last. And it's two like years. under that vibe, it's like Wilson is coming to help fix the quarterback situation. He wants to develop guys, which I think we're going to get to. But he also is going to revolutionize the way Ohio State throws the football. And I don't think you come there under those pretenses without the idea that you're running the show. I don't think those two things. I think those two things go hand in hand. Yeah. I think Urban Meyer needs an offensive coordinator that'll push back a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I think Tom Herman, certainly coming in as from as the offensive coordinator from Iowa State, did not have the cred to do that immediately. But I think he built that up um, over his three years here. And by the 2014 National Championship season, I think there was probably a pretty good give and take that if Urban Meyer said, let's do X, and Tom Herman really didn't think they should do that, that Urban Meyer might listen to that. Um, I don't know if that was there as much the last two years, but I can imagine that it will be back to that for sure with Kevin Wilson. That that um, you know again, and I wrote this. I mean, this is Urban's Urban bears a lot of the brunt of this. And again, they got to the playoffs, so it's not like a disaster or anything. But if the offense wasn't what he wanted it to be or what anyone wanted it to be, he's the boss, man, and he's an offensive guy. So. You can't just blame it all on the assistant coaches. It's easier to do that when it's the side of the ball where you don't have much influence. This is Urban Meyer's side of the ball, and the offense didn't do what he wanted it to do. So that, in the end, is on him. But I do think Kevin Wilson's going to come in with more say-so, and I think Urban Meyer needs that. What's Ryan Day's role in this thing? In the room every day? Yeah. Making JT Barrett better? Okay. In the room, 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 which will be a little bit of a different dynamic. That Tom Herbin was both of those people. He was the play caller and the offensive coordinator. Then for the last two years, that wasn't the case. Tim Beck was involved with the play calling, but he wasn't the primary play caller, but he was the quarterback's coach. Now, Kevin Wilson clearly is going to be the play caller and the head OC. Ryan Day has the co-title, but we know it's Kevin Wilson's show, and he's not going to be in the quarterback room. I wonder what's better, and I think this is one of the questions we have, but like, is it better to have that separation or is it better to have the offensive coordinator and the most important guy on the offense sort of working in cahoots to develop this thing? The one thing I will say is that when it seemed to work the best it possibly could, that was when it was both. Right. And teams so do it successfully at Ohio State. without that dynamic, but I'm like, at Ohio State, it's worked best when it was that. 
And it's the only real example that we have because it's the most dramatic example of success. I'd be curious, like, how, how what the percentages of play callers who are quarterback coaches? Because, like, when Ohio State, you know, Jim Trestle, Jim Bowman had the title of offensive coordinator. He wasn't the quarterbacks coach. Yeah, that was separate then, and mm-hmm. they won a lot of games in ten years. So it doesn't have to be that way. Was Lane Kiffin the quarterbacks coach at Alabama? I don't even know. I don't know. look it up. I don't so, know. I, you know, I don't know. I think but, like, Dan, Dan Mullen was a quarterback's coach and offensive coordinator at Flor- yeah. Florida, right? He was Tebow's guy. Yeah. yeah. It makes sense. I mean, it makes sense to me that, like, Dennis, like, and if you have a quarterback that you really – well, either way, whether it's a quarterback you're trying to teach or whether it's a veteran quarterback you really trust, then it's almost like that quarterback can help make the game plan. Yeah. Because they are with each other all the time as opposed to, here, I'm with Ryan Day or I'm with Tim Beck. And then either Ed Warner in the past or Kevin Wilson now is over in the other room sort of dealing with stuff. And then, of course, at practice, you're all together anyway. But you're in your position yeah. room a lot with your position coach. So um, let's get to this other question then from uh, Eddie Vulick, who's at Zadea. It always confuses me when people have very different Twitter name from what their at name is. I, like, when, Isn't that when, fairly common? I don't understand like when at names are like just gibberish, and maybe that means something to what's the name Eddie. But those letters, and we're going to get to the bottom. of Those letters to me mean, what? mean nothing. Yeah, but tapio- who's? Yeah. What is the real thing then? What is the I more real thing? The, the at or the other thing? Usually, the at is different, and then your name is. If it's different, then your name is kind of the way that they you are identified on it. But your at things different. I don't know. You guys are both fortunate enough to have unique enough names. That I tracked down handle, the other Ari Wasserman. can be your actual name. I found my guy on Facebook and Doesn't said, dude, I need you to change your thing because I need it for work. And he's like, okay, I don't even use Twitter. And then he like gave it to me. Nice. He should have yeah. sold it to you. I, w- I would have taken it. What a dummy. Where did he We're live? actually friends on Facebook Left because when I, Facebook was just being created when I was a freshman in college. And I typed in Ari Wasserman into Facebook and that kid from DePaul University <laughs> – I've never met him. I don't know anything about him except we've been Facebook friends and like I know he likes dogs. Really? <laughs> like he pops up on my newsfeed every now and then and it's like this random dude who happens to share a name with me who lives in Chicago. I've been friends with for 10 years and I know nothing about like his real life but I know all his Facebook stuff. Like I know where he lives. I know that he likes dogs. He volunteers at a dog shelter. It's very strange. I feel like when we're in Chicago in July for Big Ten. Oh, I would watch up. I would watch a video of Ari to Ari. Just you guys talking about dogs or recruiting. I mean, whichever. he seems like a nice guy and like was like very gracious to like be like, hey, because I like just messaged him on Facebook. I said, I know this is weird, but you have my name on Twitter. And he goes, yeah, I don't use it. You can have it. And then he gave it to me. And I like so that now that guy is sitting around with his friend saying like, yeah, I'm friend with this guy named Mario Wasserman. I don't know player. anything about him. I know he likes recruiting. I know he <laughs> likes Vegas pools. And he gets angry at people who are posers about acid rap. So, um, <laughs> It works me up because I don't like when people catch on to things late and then pretend to love them when they like didn't like love the origin of the artist. But it you're just assuming me. that they don't. They didn't. You don't know. You can't paint people with a broad. You watch like The that. Sopranos like ten right. years yeah. after it was on the air. Great show, but I'm not a. I'm not a. I'm not a. I think that the so solution of a musician is a little bit different. Someone's not allowed to watch the Grammy Awards, see Chance the Rapper, think his performance is awesome, like his vibe during his acceptance speeches, listen to Coloring Book, think it's really good, and like him, and then listen to Acid Rap later. That no, that's okay. That but they never they, they never do that. They do everything until the last part. I don't think you're giving them enough credit. And like I didn't say everybody. I just hate. Or maybe I did say everyone on Twitter. I had a Facebook status about it <laughs> and a Twitter status about yeah, it. Yeah, and. 
he was just so good. We were listening to it in the car on our road trip two years ago before anybody even knew who he was, and yeah, now he's famous. Good. It bothers me. And it also bothers me that once these guys get famous, they change, and that breaks my heart, and I thought Coloring Book was trash. That's my hot take for the podcast. So you like Chance the Rapper now or now? I love Chance the Rapper three years ago. I don't like his new album that it made him famous. You're a hipster. That's You're right. a rap hipster. Somebody else called me a rap hipster too, and it's <laughs> and I don't like it. I don't not like him because he's he's popular now. I don't like him because the music that he made was different. Did Jeezy's like music change? Yeah, yeah, and I don't like him as much anymore. He got too famous, and then they get commercial and they change their music. His hmm. newest album was like awful. I thought color like you know more about rap than I do. I thought coloring book was good, but it was different. I mean, if I wanted to listen to a gospel album, I would just go to the gospel section. So that's that's not a rap album. Sure it is. Subject matter doesn't change the genre of music. It sounded like a gospel record to me. Did it not to you? I think he was rapping about religion sometimes, but it did not sound like a gospel record to me. No, <laughs> it had a sound of like church gospel music. That was the thing on the Grammys, right? There was a gospel. Yeah, he likes to work in a nice choir, and I like a good choir. So I'm yeah, all, I like hip hop music. I'm all so. about it. I like a good choir too. Yeah. All right, <laughs> Zadea. How much time does uh, JT Barrett get this spring to develop in the new Kevin Wilson offense? And how much will they be worried about developing younger QBs? Um, they got to get JT Barrett right. I feel like that's number one on the list, right? Like Dwayne Haskins and Joe Burrow will come along, but to me, this spring from the quarterback position is all about seeing the new and improved JT Barrett. Is it not? It's got to be all, like, not all JT, like 90% JT. And I get why you're concerned about getting the younger guys developed, and that's important too, but yeah. And someone got mad at me on the Cleveland.com sub, or comment section in our last podcast for just writing that JT Barrett was the starter because that's what Urban Meyer said, and someone accused me of um, like pumping up Urban Meyer's message of JT being the quarterback and doing a disservice to the readers because JT shouldn't be the quarterback. And like that doesn't matter because he's the quarterback. He's a starting quarterback. You did a 10-minute scenario on the last podcast about how JT Barrett could lose his job in the middle of the year. And I asked if he listened to that, and he never responded. Somebody also got super upset about our Tate Martell takes. Oh, yeah, that we disrespected him by saying he wouldn't start. Which I get. I understand that people... But then who... So we got to disrespect somebody. Somebody's... They're all going to start. And it was just a projection. Like, we're going to cover it the way it is. It's just, if you had to guess, I'd take the... Six foot three freak that's coming in the year after him in the discussion. So anyway, yeah. Anyway, the majority of the time, and I think it will be this. This will be the case. Should be JT Barrett getting right, getting back to where he was in 2014, developing the deep ball better, becoming more well versed in whatever this offense is going to be. That's of the utmost importance. And getting Dwayne Haskins and Joe Burrow ready is also important. But JT's the guy, so you got to deal with him first. But isn't that kind of like we were talking about with Day and and. Wilson. Well, whoever. It can be both, right? Yeah, I mean, but you can do – I don't know. I don't see the distinction between the two things. I think part of the distinction is reps and maybe in a normal spring, as much as they talk about limiting reps of veterans, if you had the same offense and the same coaches coming back and JT Barrett was in great shape, you could like JT Barrett make him a coach. Through it. Yeah. You wouldn't, even have, you wouldn't even take a rep the whole spring. Yeah. And they've done that with a thousand rep club at other positions. But I think with the way JT Barrett played and with – the new, new two new coaches. I think JT Barrett needs a lot of reps in the spring, as opposed to saying, "Listen, we know JT's fine. Let's give Haskins and Burrow the reps." I think JT Barrett's got to get repped with the new coaches. And do you think 
<clears throat> when we get into the spring with him and we're talking to people, do you think this is more of a minor tweaks to what JT Barrett is? Or do you think this is a possibly more like a break him down to build him back up kind of situation where – and I don't know. I'm not saying this happened, but maybe he fell into bad habits. Maybe he, this got a little loose. I, I don't know what. And if you have new coaches in there, is it going to be minor stuff or is it going to be like JT Barrett relearning the quarterback position? I think you got to break them down a little bit. I think you'd find people who like study quarterback play sort of in- intricately that will say that his footwork got a little wonky because I think the protection wasn't great. I think him being unwilling to throw the ball in the tight windows is a huge problem for them. And unless they change the offense to the point where everyone's wide open, he's going to have to start doing that because that's how you beat teams that have NFL defenders. Um, so, yeah, I think I think there's a portion of this that's breaking him down and changing the way he plays the position a little bit. I think it's the whole thing. Yeah. I, I do. The thing Urban Meyer has always yeah. been about change, right? Yeah. Whenever there's been an issue. And I don't think that he – is going to go into the offseason and think that the quarterback doesn't need to change a lot, even if they, he loves them and the number one stat's winning and that's everything that he always says all the time. But I do think that when they sit down and watch the film that they're going to think this, 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 and this have to be different next year. And I think it all starts with the quarterback, and I think that JT probably goes into the spring recognizing it. I guess He's the, the question, starter, but he has to change. The question I have is how much change can you make with a fifth-year guy in one season? The question I have as a rebuttal to that is how – Drastic. When we talk about wholesale change, you talk about footwork, throwing the ball in a coach's mind. How drastic of a change do you think that actually is? Yeah, maybe it's not. Like yeah. it, maybe it's a huge, drastic change to rewire the way that a quarterback thinks and goes about his business, or maybe it's just listen to the coach for a month, get through spring football, see the differences and what you're supposed to do, and then he gets it. I don't know. And I don't know if you have to rewire his thinking a little bit. Like JT Barrett will say, you know, I'm not going to put us in a bad position. I'm not going to throw a pick if it's not there. You know. And I don't know that they want this, but don't be afraid to, to throw a pick. Throw a pick. Make a play. Throw a pick. It's yeah. okay. You know, like, do you yeah, have to try to get him to think yeah. differently? Now, I don't know that they want him to do that, but Urban Meyer said some stuff at the end of the year. And we talked about it in the podcast, and Urban Meyer said it in the press conferences. You know, sometimes you got to maybe risk it a little bit, like Deshaun Watson does. So that's going to be a very interesting storyline. Normally, you would have a fifth-year quarterback who's played forever. Spring football, big deal. This is going to be a very interesting spring for JT Barrett. Yeah. All right. Alex Hoskins at Alex Haas, 1313. See, that matches up a little bit. Yeah, that's better. With four starters back, how good can the offensive line be? So, Bill Landis, our offensive line writer extraordinaire, <laughs> what, what overall grade would you give the offensive line last year uh, as a group? Not very good. Like a C plus. All right, with the talent they have and the experience, Billy Price back as a was a first team All American some places. Jamarco Jones had a really good year. Mm-hmm. Isaiah Prince clearly has ability. Michael Jordan clearly has ability. Um, Malcolm Pridgen is a guy that you like. Can this be an A line? I think it could be. I I've, I would feel pretty good about left tackle. Um, I would feel pretty good about left or right guard wherever Michael Jordan ends up. I don't think moving from guard to center, which is what Billy Price seems – that's the path he seems to be on, I don't think that's quite as easy as people think it might be. Pat Elfine made Elfine it look made easy. It look easy. Um, and Billy Price has been doing a lot – like Pat Elfine worked as a backup center for a year or two before he took over the job completely. And Billy Price has been doing that too. So maybe it will be easy in transition for him. But I don't think it's a given that Billy Price is going to step in and be as good as Pat Elfine was at center. Pat Elfine won the Remington Award. Um, so – 
if Billy Price isn't Billy the best Price, center in college football, it's a little bit of a Billy step Price down. and Pat Elfline seem to be the same human to me. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's three spots I'd feel really good about. Prince, Jordan, and Jamarco Jones. Um, Isaiah Prince, I don't know. He was better against Clemson, but I wonder how much of that was Clemson just assuming they were going to do some stuff to help Isaiah Prince out so we'll attack other spots of the line. And Isaiah, Isaiah Prince doesn't stick out as much. He had some real problems last year against Penn State and against Michigan giving up quarterback pressures, and I don't know. He's got a lot of time to fix that in spring ball and, and the fall camp and, and whatever they're doing now with, with drills and stuff like that. Um, but I would not feel very confident in the other tackle spot and the other guard spot. I have no idea who's going to play it because Malcolm Pridgen thinks he's a tackle and wants to play tackle, and they'll play guard if they want him to. But in my mind, him wanting to be a tackle says to me that he's not super comfortable playing guard. So if you have a guy who doesn't want to be a guard playing guard and the guy playing right tackle who wasn't very good last year, that's too – potentially kind of big holes in your offensive line, at least uncertainties that I wouldn't feel very good about coming in. Prince play guard or is that crazy? He's really tall. He's super long. I don't know. But like Prince is tall too. The, uh, I mean, it's certainly, we've seen it. We've seen it a million times. We've seen it here where a talented young guy plays early and is not that great. And then it's better because he gets older. I mean, that's yeah. not off the table at all. I think people Isaiah forget Prince. that Isaiah Prince was a true sophomore last year. Yeah. So, and like didn't play really. But it's also not guaranteed. Just getting older doesn't automatically make you better. So that's my brilliant analysis. He could be better or he might not be better. But, you know, I mean, whatever, with example, Gary on Conley or whatever. It's like, you know, here's a guy who wasn't, and then <clears throat> had some rough patches and then all of a sudden turns into a really good player. Right. So, uh, but they need him to be good. Yeah. And I think, I, I definitely think the potential is there for them to be maybe as good as they were in 2014. That was a really good line by the end of the yeah. year. That wasn't very good when the season started. Um, and I thought that this line last year was going to build toward that, and it never really did. But with all those guys back, they're not as young as they were a year ago. Um, they have good experience at left tackle and center. I think you can you can give Prince the benefit of the doubt a little bit. I would. I and don't mean, you think – and the one thing – the reason why I would say that is because I think when he had his feet held to the fire between the bowl game and the, and the Michigan game – it seemed like he made improvements. He improved. Or, I would I would say he improved. And, I never, and to see that, I think, gives you good faith going into the, the yeah. offseason. And I think he's talented. I don't think it was ever a question of talent. I think maybe the moment got a little too big for him sometimes, and he was young. So if that doesn't happen next season, I think he'll be okay. All right, let's hit our last question. This is going to branch off a couple of things, though. It's from James, at James underscore Octavius. Let's see if, if that's a real guy. Okay, seems like a real guy. Yeah, we've got questions from him before. All right, James. Where does Pat Alphine go in the draft? Bill, you've been doing the Ooh. tracker. Um, the one thing I will say is that centers can fall. Yeah. Um, I remember Mike Brewster, people thought, was going to be possibly a decently high pick, went undrafted. Um, Corey Lindsley went in the fifth round, I think, and is now a starter in the NFL. So, I mean, it's not – you know, Corey Lindsley's snapping Aaron Rodgers. He went in the fifth round. So, I would think – Pat Elfline would go ahead of Corey Lindsley just based on what Pat Elfline did in college. But, um, you know, the Browns need a center, and I know there I've seen Browns fans who are also Ohio State fans sort of hoping for this. I mean, to me, and I think I even did a projection somewhere, you know, Pat Elfline in the third round of the Browns is not crazy to me. You know, maybe he lasts to the fourth, but – I don't know that he'll be a second round pick. What do you think he's going to be? No, I, I, I would guess he'd get go in the fourth round, and that's I'm trying to think. Who did Matt Matt Miller Bleacher Report had him picked in the fourth round in his mock draft? 
The thing I do wonder about Elfline is that, and it's not, it wouldn't be rare for a guy who played center in college to move the guard in the NFL. I think that might happen quite often, but Pat Elfline has a lot of really good college tape at guard and one year of tape at center where he was pretty good. He was the best center in the country. And I wonder if that versatility might help him climb up the draft board a little bit. If like you want him to be a center, worst case scenario, you can plug him in a guard and feel pretty comfortable about it. Maybe that helps him sneak into the third round. Um, but I would guess fourth round because I don't know, even though he won the Remington Award, I don't know if he's actually considered the best draft-eligible center. Yeah, there's a guy from LSU who is in that mix, a guy from West Virginia uh, who's in the mix. Um, it's you know, it's not like he's far and away right. the best guy. I think he's in the mix as the number one center, but he's not for sure the number one center. And I'll be curious. Like, and I, don't, I don't know how important your athletic ability is, like how much that comes into play when you're talking about interior offensive linemen. But I wonder how well he might test at the combine, and it's possible. I think it, Pat Elfine's a really good offensive lineman. I don't know how dynamic of an athlete he is, and I think if, Billy Price is a better athlete, right? Than Pat Elfine. I wonder if Pat Elfine might get a few points taken away at the combine. Not so much that he's going to fall to the sixth round, but like just won't be able to jump from the fourth round into the third round. Yeah. Um, James had another question: Who will be the better player long term in the NFL, Curtis Samuel or Noah Brown? That's a good question. That's a good question. You give your answer first. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'll say Curtis Samuel only because in my head I can I can envision what his role would be already. We've talked about it before. Like a third down running back catches passes out of the backfield. Even if he's a slot receiver, I think there is a there is a evident NFL skill with Curtis Samuel, and I don't know what Noah Brown's NFL skill is. If he can't separate from cornerbacks in college, he's not going to be able to do it in, in the NFL. Maybe he has awesome hands and can be a good red zone target, but I didn't see enough of that at Ohio State for me to be confident in that. I think the one thing for Noah Brown is sort of like the big body catching radius. I, I follow enough draft guys on Twitter, and they're all breaking down film at this time of the year. And I've seen people talk about Noah Brown and point to, I think, a couple of the we joke about the Oklahoma game, but I mean, he made some good catches in that game. He made the catch in overtime to beat Wisconsin, where you get him, if you can get him one-on-one on a corner, he has a big body, and he can like box a guy out and take up space and then go get a ball that's not thrown perfectly. And I think that has some appeal. And so, I mean, he's raw because he didn't get on the field a lot at Ohio State because he lost a year to injury, and then he didn't catch a lot of balls this year, and now he's going pro. Um but I don't even know how fast he has to run or anything. Like he's kind of a unique guy. That he's pretty big and thick for a receiver, isn't he? And I think he, yeah. I mean, he was two hundred and forty pounds. Feeling from the question was Noah Brown. I really liked Curtis Samuel's potential. I would Curtis, Curtis Samuel, Samuel was a really really good college player. I don't know how good of an NFL player he's going to be. I think that the potential for Noah Brown to be good, based on the things that Doug just said, makes sense to me. Those guys, and it's like, not a popular opinion because of how great Curtis Samuel was, and he was the entire reason Ohio State could move the ball. Yeah, I still think I would take Noah Brown. I don't I'd rather how, draft him. I don't know how many of those guys who do what Curtis Samuel does like pan out in the NFL. And like the best example of that is like Reggie Bush, who was awesome, obviously, and was a Heisman Trophy winner. But like he has not had a great NFL career, and part of that I think might be because he's not quite good enough of a runner to be an awesome NFL running back. He's not quite good enough of a receiver to be an awesome NFL receiver. And if you get caught in between, like what is your ceiling for your pro career? I had a, an exchange on Twitter with one of the draft analyst guys. I, I, I'm, I wish I could remember which one, but I can't. Um, 
who he was projecting Curtis Samuel as a slot receiver. And I said, I think he's more of like a third down running back, more handing the ball sometimes, catch out of the backfield. And he said he had questions about Curtis Samuel running between the tackles. And it's sort of like, if I guess if they're going to line you up in the backfield so that you are at least a threat to the defense to be handed the ball, if you can't run between the tackles, you're not really doing your job. You're not, right. You have to be a threat to that at least. They can't just have you run outside every time or throw you a swing pass every time. Because if you're going to do that, then you just have to be a slot receiver. Um, and so if you're a slot receiver, then like, are you Julian Edelman? You know, like, are yeah. you, like, I don't know. Like how, you know, he caught, he caught a lot of passes this year. Um, Is he like Julian Edelman's size? Is that the reason why everybody keeps no, saying just, Julian Edelman? Because isn't Julian Edelman pretty big? It's like 5'11", I think. I don't think he's super tall. He's just what a, I mean, he's just like a, a slot receiver who's who just runs him out and catches the pass and gets yeah. the first down. But I think I would take Curtis Samuel. Braxton Miller went in the third round. I would take Curtis Samuel ahead of Braxton Miller. I would too. Yeah, it's an interesting question because, like, if you took it a step further, the rounds matter too because it's all based on value. And I think right now it's clear that Curtis Samuel would probably be drafted before Noah Brown. Yeah. But I think I would rather take Noah Brown in the sixth or seventh round than Curtis Samuel in the third. I think it's possible that Noah Brown is just raw, but once he gets some time under him, he could really do some things. He had one, one season as a college receiver because he, he broke his leg, lost a year. Before that, he was a running back slash H-back. So, yeah, I think he might he might like be a freak and no one realizes it, like an athletic freak, and like he might go run like a – The question is like what made him Four or five and – like, did he get back a really some sort of feedback that was just based on what you just said, Bill? Sometimes guys want to go. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, if he got – the thing that's weird is, like, you get first round, second round, or go back to school, and, like, I would like to know if I was third round. Yeah, like, third or seventh <laughs> is a big yeah. difference. I think he could miss, though, too. I think I think Noah Brown could go in the sixth round and not make a team. I think he's a complete wild card, but I, th- yeah. I, think, there, I think you're drafting upside if you draft him and – I like taking flyers on guys like that once you get past the fourth round. All right, minute left. I wanted to throw this out there. I have I have seen draft lists where on someone's big board, the number two overall player in the draft is Marshawn Lattimore. Daniel Jeremiah, I think, had that. Unbelievable. And I want to – we'll write about this at some point. It turns out that Marshawn Lattimore, once his hamstrings were okay, is an unbelievable football player. He might go ahead of Malik Hooker. He might go in the top five, the way some of these guys are rating him, as an absolute prototypical number one NFL corner after playing basically one year of college football. I'd be so... Go ahead, Bill. No, I think it's crazy, and I think I know what you're going to say, and I think I agree with you. What was I going to say? (coughs) You'd be nervous to draft him? Yeah. Because of his hamstrings. Right. Yeah, I would too. It's an important thing for a guy who plays this position, obviously. Cut them off a few years. Number two overall. And I, I mean, they, these guys get poked and prodded at the NFL Combine, and they go through physical examinations. And, and it's not to say that Marshawn Lattimore's hamstrings won't hold up, because he did a really good job in the training staff, did a really good job of keeping him healthy this year. But that would be a concern for me if I'm drafting him. It's just funny. This is a guy, it's like we all saw the picture that I think one of our guys took in high school at Glenville of him jumping 40 feet in the air to block an extra point or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, you look at that and think, wow, that guy is unbelievable. And it turns out, yeah, he yeah. is. He's that guy. Nobody else could do that. All right, we're going to wrap it up. We're shooting for under an hour, so I'm going to talk fast. you got 36 <laughs> seconds, bud. Bill Landis and Ari Wasserman. Follow him on Twitter, at Bill Landis 25 at Ari Wasserman. 
Follow me, Doug, at, at Doug Maurice. Check out our other podcast uh, at cleveland.com on iTunes. Um, and this is Buckeye Talk. We appreciate you guys listening. We're going to keep writing. Um, it really is getting more popular, and we really appreciate you guys uh, tuning in every week. So uh, for Bill and for Ari, I'm Doug, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>